Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 199 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's a windy old week and I've been stacking pallets a little too high. I'm feeling a little nervous, but it's not just the weather. Listen in for my latest updates. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk. Hi everyone, welcome once more to my podcast. Another super fast week has flown by and I'm back once more in the office looking out at the weather and feeling rather glad that I sorted all of the outdoor work out early this week. I hope you're all well and getting excited for the start of the new season. I've had a very busy week this week, but then again, aren't they all really? But things are starting to get a little more hectic as we move quickly through February and March seems to be appearing on the horizon and will soon be here. Weather report at the ready for you. And once again, we've had some extremely variable weather this week. The highlight being the daytime temperature on Wednesday reaching a crazy 17 degrees Celsius, which is around 62 degrees Fahrenheit. The yo-yo weather conditions still seem to be on the warmer side of winter and show no signs of changing at any time soon. A day earlier on Tuesday, for those of you not paying attention, it was quite wintry. Low single-figure temperatures, quite breezy and some nasty little rain showers that made the temperature feel like it had dropped even further. This fool of a beekeeper chose that day to go out and add some pollen substitute to colonies and I got drenched. The sensible member of the team, Steph, stayed in the truck and handed out the packs of pollen sub as we moved from pallet to pallet and it just got wetter and wetter. I'll come back to the pollen sub situation in a moment but first the weather. It's getting stormy this week. All the reports seem to indicate that on Friday, that's today for those of you listening on Patreon, it's going to be gales with gusts in excess of 75 or even 80 miles per hour. Thankfully, I'm working at the unit all day, so reasonably protected. There's no large trees to look out for there. But do be careful, everyone, if you do have to venture out. The good news around the apiaries is that pretty much everywhere is strapped down and secure. I do have a couple of stacks of supers at the Hillside Allotments apiary that I really ought to move or at least dismantle a little bit if I get a chance later today. But if I don't, you may be hearing about it next week. Back to the story about the pollen substitute trip. I'm currently using the Bee Pro Pollen Sub Powder and mixing it with heavy sugar syrup. It mixes really well, and it does need using up because it's a few years old now. Wrapped in greaseproof paper this time, and not cling film, as we've shown in the video, 
it's important, I guess, that we keep trying to reduce the single-use plastics in our lives where we can. Anyway, it was a wet and windy morning, but the job needed to be done, and I'm glad I did it, because delaying it any further would have meant at least another week, because I just couldn't get back there this week. And with everything else going on around me right now, I really wanted to make sure that these colonies got the pollen sub early enough. I wasn't quite ready for the size of some of the colonies that we saw, some really strong colonies. And by that, I mean a full honeypaw 10-frame brood box with wall-to-wall bees. Every seam filled with bees, and of course, a couple not very happy that I was there disturbing them. Several stings later, I had the pollen substitute on all of them. Well, not all of them, as, of course, there are always going to be a few smaller colonies. Those need a week or two longer before we add any pollen sub, and by that time, there may well be some natural pollen available to them anyway, and it just won't be needed. This is where experience and past, if you'll excuse the phrase, cock-ups come into play. I have in previous years fed pollen sub to all colonies, regardless of size, and to be honest, it's just not needed. What I've found is, in general, the smaller colonies won't build up any faster, and in some cases, the pollen sub can hinder their development. What happens, and again I stress with some smaller colonies, not all, but with some, the brood nest expands on this sudden increase in available protein, but the weather then cools down, and the colony goes back into a cluster. Being a small colony, they don't have sufficient bees to maintain a high enough temperature across all of the brood, and that brood on the outermost edges of the cluster dies, resulting in what we term chilled brood. This then means more work for the bees to clear out that dead larvae, and a lot of effort has been wasted in rearing it in the first place, only to see it lost. Better to leave these smaller colonies to develop a little further and wait for more settled temperatures, which of course usually means there's enough natural pollen available for them anyway, so no pollen sub is needed. The strongest colonies of course can take the pollen substitute and build further, and if you're looking to develop big colonies in order to split and make an increase, or you'd like to have strong colonies to take advantage of an early nectar flow, well feeding pollen substitute can be a really good way of helping your colonies to do just that. You probably know that I run a Facebook group called Stuart's Beekeeping Basics. We've over 15,000 members now. It's a closed group with several very helpful moderators who maintain a sense of order and safety for beginner beekeepers who want to ask all of those questions that beginner beekeepers have. I say it's a safe group and by that I mean you won't get shot down or abused by anyone for asking those questions and if anyone is rude to you they quickly find themselves ejected by the moderators. I mentioned the group because just last week a beekeeper was critical of other beekeepers for using fondant and pollen substitute, saying that they were only using it because they had robbed the bees of too much of their honey or were forcing them into an unnatural position of growing too early in the season for profit, either for splits or for an early nectar flow such as oilseed rape. It could have become a hot topic. You can never really tell how someone is trying to say something when it's written down. It just depends on how you read it. For some beekeepers, looking after their bees is a pure husbandry issue. 
it's not taking honey, it's leaving the bees alone for the most part and not treating their bees for pests and diseases. For many other beekeepers, mostly backyard beekeepers, there's a fascination in keeping honeybees, a desire to take care of them as best they can, and the pleasure of a small honey crop as a reward for helping the colony grow and develop. At the other end of the scale are bee farmers, looking to make a living through the production of honey and the sale of bees and queens. With so many different ways of keeping honeybees, there are always going to be points of disagreement because each beekeeper is coming at their task of taking care of their bees from a slightly different starting point with a different set of objectives. I don't think that necessarily any of them are wrong. Just different. I just don't understand why people have to be so rude, offensive or angry with others. Let's just agree to disagree and continue to enjoy keeping our bees in the way that we want. Anyway, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, you'd be very welcome to join in the conversation. And of course, never be afraid of asking that burning question that you might have. So with the pollen substitute job completed and this beekeeper feeling quite excited about how his bees are looking, I had to turn my attention away from bees and onto beekeeping equipment. Once again, I find myself worrying that I've already talked about my plans and I'm just repeating myself, especially at the point at which we find ourselves this far, well, not into the season, but at the beginning of the season. But but let me just recap and I'll tell you what's been happening this week. As you probably already know, I'm planning a dramatic increase in colony numbers this season from a starting point of around 75 colonies plus 50 that we're buying in. My maths puts us at something like 125, but I'm factoring in a minimal loss of small colonies. So let's say we're going to start with 120 colonies. I've agreed the purchase of what for me is a huge amount of equipment. I'm still shaking a little with both excitement and worry, but the deal's done now, so there's no turning back. And I promise you, you're going to get a warts and all update each week, both here and on YouTube, obviously The first watch will be via Patreon, so if you're listening to this for the first time in late March and you want to catch up with how things are going, head over to Patreon and sign up there. So this week, Steph and I travelled to visit the seller of all this equipment to help sort through what we've bought and start getting it on pallets ready to be shipped up to us. As you can probably imagine, it's a bit like a child in a sweet shop. In fact, it's a bit like me in a sweet shop. So many things to look at and choose from. Where on earth do you start? I found myself hopping from one pallet to another to check out exactly what I'd bought. I don't mean actually hopping on one leg, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Anyway, once the initial excitement settled down and the panic was calmed, we started to sort through the kit and began the first task of adding frames with foundation to some of the hives that we've bought. These are the Technoset hives, a multicoloured rainbow of hives that are incredibly simple yet hugely complicated, at least to my eye. I'm sure that once we get them back and play around with them, everything will become self-explanatory. These hives have separate pollen traps, feeders and a variety of split boxes to allow nucleus colonies to be produced. A range of weird entrances that seem both complicated and useful at the same time and just going back to the feeder boxes sections for syrup or alternatively fondant depending on what you want to do 
Once I'd finished playing around with the Technoset hives, my attention turned to the Poly hives that we've acquired. These are looking a little sorry for themselves. They're quite old and well used. Probably only good for a few more seasons, unless we can get them tidied up. But I think time might be against me in terms of this season, so the initial plan is to get bees into them this year, hopefully overwinter them successfully, and then get them into replacement hives the season after that. Then we can make some repairs, restock them, and maybe find a wannabe bee farmer who's looking to build stock levels on a budget and pass them on. Later in the day, we moved over to the steel containers to start working through the supers with drawn comb. They've been stored wet, which means they've been extracted, left with a little residual honey in the comb, and then stored. Acetic acid is then used to kill off any wax moth that might be lurking, and the doors to the containers closed. It's not a method of storing that I've ever used before, preferring to allow the bees to clean down the supers until they appear dry, and then storing them out in the apiaries ready for use the next spring. The first thing to note is the residual honey absorbs moisture, so everything was dripping with diluted honey. Very sticky. I really should have taken some gloves. It just didn't occur to me. The second thing is acetic acid. Not just any old acetic acid, but 95% acetic acid. This is stuff not to be messed with. It's dangerous, and although I did buy some to give this method a go last year, in the end, I shied away from it. Maybe we'll have to reconsider how we tackle the issue of extracted boxes going forward, but for now, I much prefer to let the bees clean them out and store them dry. It's less dangerous. I really don't want to be in a hurry one day and spill a dish of acetic acid over my face. The ability to use drawn combs in the spring is a huge benefit when compared with foundation, if honey's what you're after. With colonies able to go straight into storing mode and not have to waste time and energy drawing out foundation, it can increase the yield from a colony dramatically. We're actually getting a mix of supers, some with drawn comb and some supers with foundation. So it'll be interesting to see how we get going in the spring, especially on the oilseed rape. We've stacked the pallets, wrapped them in that pallet wrap stuff to prevent them being blown over in these high winds, and they're now ready for collection just as soon as I can get the transport organised. So the next part of the plan is getting these hives home, setting them up ready for early season splits, and waiting on the weather gods to decide if they want to help or hinder me this year. I do have to go back to sort out more kit in preparation for transport. There's more supers to get ready, the poly hives need stacking, and we need to set up enough frames and foundation for them all so we don't keep the bees waiting when they finally get going. I have to say that I'm really excited to be sharing this new chapter of the Norfolk Honey Company with you all, and I hope you'll enjoy the ride with me. I guess now it's time for me to go and make some more sacrifices to the weather gods, so I'll catch up with you all again next time. And remember, I'm an excited, if not a little nervous, Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. <laughs>